Hello, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation and communication. And we are excited today to introduce our guest uh, for Framework Leadership, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Caroline is a communication pathologist and a cognitive neuroscientist. She's also the best-selling author of Switch On Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, and more. She teaches at uh, academic, medical, and neuroscience conferences and to various audiences around the world. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. Uh, as we get started in our conversation, uh, I want to talk about opening up by talking about mental health. There has been, of course, a, a significant rise in anxiety and depression, especially among uh, younger generations. According to the American Psychological Association, only 45% of Gen Zers reported their mental health was good or even excellent. And that's compared to other generations. They were least likely to report positive mental health. So why do you think that is right now? Well, I think we've got to redefine mental health, first of all. I think that the reason we're seeing these kind of statistics is, or the negative framework that they are coming in, is because we've defined mental health incorrectly. Mental health is something that's always been with humans. It's not something new. And mm. every generation is facing something unique. And that's, it's not that every generation is facing something worse. It's a unique things that we face. So we are dealing with a technological age. We're dealing with information explosion. We're dealing with you know, COVID, the wars, et cetera, et cetera. But other generations have as well. Well. So when we talk about an increase in anxiety or in the increase in use, etc., these are very normal responses to adverse circumstances. Mm. So I don't believe there's a pandemic increase or a pandemic in mental health that's coming because mental health has always been a challenge. It's just being a human is a challenge. Okay. What we have is a mismanagement of mind, mismanagement ah. of mental health. And when you mismanage mental health, you're going to see what we're seeing. Mm. So we've seen a shift over the last 40 years. I've been in this field now for nearly 38 years doing clinical trials, working as a clinical neuroscientist. And we've seen the shift from a holistic approach, working with people's stories, looking at the whole context, a whole team of professionals, and, and approaching it from the point of view that being a human is a challenging, is challenging, and we can have these different, from a one to 10, we, we, one, two, three being kind of average, and nine, 10 being extreme situation. So we dealing when we deal holistically with looking at where a person's story is, are they in an eight, nine, ten level? Are they in a one, two, three? How do we approach this? And you create a whole team management mm. um, kind of approach, helping the person, empowering the person to understand their mind and manage the responses and the signals and so on. You have much more effective success. But we've stopped doing that. And um. we've gone to a biomedical model, which is one of if you have an emotion, there's bad emotions and good emotions. And bad emotions are illnesses and it's because you have a chemical imbalance and the drug's mm. going to fix it and that has created chaos. Scientifically we see it's not the way to go mm. it's inefficient and it's increased the, um, it's, it's increased um, the, 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 the people are dying 8 to 25 years younger wow. than before because of this approach. So we have to really come back to looking at the mm. uniqueness of a person and their story. What's been one of the causes so, of that? Like what's driving this kind of shift in the way we're approaching mental it started health? It in the 50s when mm. they discovered the first drugs, 
Anthropramazine and they thought, okay, this is great. We can control people that are battling. Um, and it was with the extreme state, people in extreme states, which is a very small percentage of the population that mm. get to extreme states. And then there's always a cause. It doesn't still doesn't mean that they're mentally ill. It just means that they're really battling. Um, and from there, there was, oh, we've got the solution. And now uh, the biomedical model talks about the fact that if you have like heart disease, we can, it's a, there's a biological cause and we can identify the cause and we can treat it. Mental health was put in the same category. Mm. So we shifted from looking at the person's holistic story to looking at it as a disease and as a chemical imbalance. So the cause shifted from a person's environment, experience, context, socioeconomic, political mm. trauma that they've experienced, whatever, to Forget all of that. What's more important is what's going on in your brain. Oh. So it became about the individual as opposed to the environment. So, you know, we're not dealing with the environment. We're not considering the causes. We're just looking at, oh, that's another mental health problem, diagnose, mm -hmm. label, medicate. And those medications are not medications, they're drugs. So they are accelerating the problem as well. So wow. it's a shift in philosophy mm -hmm. that's sure. led to a shift in treatment, which right. has led to a shift in results. So you think about students, right? They're in this transitionary period, which is adverse, right? So yeah, naturally, yeah. this is the first time in your life you're away from home, all these exactly. different things. So you're experiencing emotions you've never felt, which is, a, like you said, a normal thing. Humans have been yeah. doing that for years. What advice would you give to students in there as they're kind of dealing with all the information that's like, okay, maybe you're depressed, maybe you're anxiety. How can they be navigating that transition? Fantastic question. I'm so glad you asked that because what we need to understand, this is my advice, any emotion that you have is not an illness, it's a messenger. Mm -hmm. So if you embrace it, you immediately get power over it. So I've shown with my research, and this is in a clinical research, that when you look at an emotion, not as an illness, but as a messenger, it's telling you something. You know, it's not a brain disease, it's a messenger. You're empowered by a factor of up to 81% to now manage the depression. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is depression, anxiety, worry, fear. These are all going to be with us all the time. This is part of being a human. They are really deep, deep signals from our depth of our wisdom coming from literally with the source of wisdom helping us to navigate life. So depression is a messenger that we need to wake up and say, and not wake up is a harsh word, that we need to grab, pay attention and find, okay, what is this attached to? Now, emotions never sit alone. They, ha they have three partners. With it. They work sort of in a foursome. So if, however you feel, you're going to have a behavioral signal attached to that. So if you look at how you're feeling, okay, I'm feeling depressed, then you can look at your behaviors. What am I saying? What am I doing when I'm feeling like this? And very, you kind of objectively observe this, then you can shift over to where do I feel this in my body? And then you can shift over to how is this affecting my perspective? And from those, you can then see, okay, this is leading to a thought pattern. Mm -hmm. And a thought yeah. pattern is filled with data. Yeah. And so you can embrace and process and, and reconceptualize. And if you do that and track back, you'll find the cause. So instead of saying, I have clinical depression, what's wrong with me? Or I've got a brain disease, throw that out the door and say, hey, I'm a normal human. This is not who I am. I'm showing up because of, and let me now analyze these signals and let me not use the signals to take me down to the thought and then trace down to the source and then let me reconstruct that. Because you can't change your story, mm -hmm. but you can change how it plays out in you. Yeah. And if this is done within an environment where we create safe spaces for students on campus, schools, wherever, adults, all humans, but we're talking students mm -hmm. now, we need safe spaces where they can communicate, where you can bring the two generations together, the different mm -hmm. generations together and learn from each other. We're not doing that. So we've got our kids merging with the internet and whatever your brain merges with, whatever your mind is not your brain, your mind trains your brain, your mind uses your brain. Mm -hmm. So if your mind is now in this direction, your brain just follows. So if you immerse yourself mm -hmm. in the negativity and all that kind yep. of stuff, it's going to influence you. And that's wow. very often the root cause. So just by changing and shifting that and creating safe spaces to talk these things through, sure. 
you can process and have more effective understanding wow. and management. For you personally, um, how did you get into the field of mental health and 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 start to address these issues? What what really prompted you to enter this specific field of study? What was it started in a university lecture many years ago in the 80s when we were told the brain couldn't change and that really was a challenge for me and I remember mm. bring up my hand saying to the neurology professor that doesn't sound right and he said well you know that's a ridiculous question I actually did a TED talk <laughs> on this and I said uh, they said it's a ridiculous question go research it so I did so I said what should I research what 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 mm. area what group of pop, what population so he said, oh, well, he just threw out, well, study traumatic brain injury. It's a waste of time because their brains change. There's no hope. And I thought, That's, that was all I needed to spur mm. me on. So I started doing research with traumatic brain injury, which there was literally no research. And I saw if you, with directed mind input, you can change the structure of the brain and you can change how a person's behavioral, cognitive, social, emotional functioning. And then I applied it with all the different groups I work with, dementias, learning disabilities, extreme trauma. Then I started saying, hey, this is something I need. So it became a day-to-day -day thing. And then, so I de developed a, a theory, a system, whatever, and just continued researching and applying it clinically. And yeah, I'm 38 years later still doing that. Love so, it. Wow. Can you walk <laughs> us through that that program? I know it's, it's a big part of your ministry. You talk about it a lot everywhere. But if you give our audience just kind of a breakdown, what does that look like to sure. retrain your brain? So it's, it's the concept of neuroplasticity. So your brain is a physical structure. It can't change itself. So if you're dead, your brain's can, does nothing, it disintegrates. But because we're alive, listening to each other now, talking, our brain is changing because our mind is receiving this conversation, putting it into the brain as mm -hmm. an energy, quantum, mechanical, neurochemical, and that then um, electromagnetic. And that energy in the brain causes a genetic response. And this conversation then converts into proteins, holding the information as vibrations wow. and grows into trees. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing right now. And we're doing it at 400 billion actions per second. So with wow. our mind, via our mind, we change our brain. So you can direct that process through self-regulation. So then, you know, the scriptures bring all thoughts into captivity, renew the mind, become very alive. So I've done the science of that. How do you do that? What does it mean? Capture a thought. What does it mean? Renew your mm -hmm. mind. So essentially what you, what you through the signals, you can, through looking at the four signals um, of emotions, bodily sensations, behaviors, you know, guts, gut pain, etc., that kind of thing, and perspective, you can actually track back to that thought. So the neurocycles, the system I developed, I did, a, did the research, developed a theory, and then developed, that gave birth to the neurocycle, which wasn't called that way back then. It's a system, systematic way that we drive this process. So you can put any technique you want into there, but it's the system. Mm. Our brain is very systematic. Our mind-brain-body interaction, which we call psychoneurobiology, is very intact, is very systematic. So it's basically a process of calming down your neurophysiology when you're in a high anxiety state or when you, if you let's say it's a, on the scale of one to ten, let's say that you are um, just irritated from an email. You can use it in that state. Or let's say that you're in a, trauma response in the midst of a relationship and it's relating to some kind of trauma you had in childhood or like COVID you just with something you know something mm -hmm. of the isolation and it's built up with it so that would be an 8, 9, 10 so I'm talking to extremes you can use the neurocycle for both extremes because it's basically a systematic way of getting your mind back under control your brain under control your body under control so that's your psychoneurophysiology and then directing how you want your mind to change your brain and rewiring the brain. And so it's a, a process of you calm down your brain, which is sort of decompression, can be breathing, anything, there's a million different techniques there. That just calms down your neurophysiology. Then you need to be aware. So gather awareness would be your first step after doing the calming down stuff. 
Um, and so gather awareness is like it says gather. You gather means you're in control. Whatever you are, whatever you can handle in that moment. Because this neurocycle is not done. Um, if you're dealing like that, if you're dealing with the eight, nine, ten stuff, you're going to do this over time. If you're dealing with it in the moment, easy stuff, you can do it in a minute. Mm. So you gather awareness of how you're feeling. What, to what you're saying and doing, the four signals, what your body feels and what your perspective is. But gathering means that you're in control, like picking mm. an apple off a tree. So yeah. it's literally grabbing an apple, grabbing what is my emotion, yeah. putting it into sentences. Then you would go into reflecting, very systematic. You follow through because that's directing the energy of the brain to change the brain. If you just rush through it in, in, in the wrong way, you won't get the same impact. So then you reflect, and reflecting is an asking, answering, discuss process. Then the third thing is you write down what you've gathered. But in a patterned format called a metacog, which is kind of a mind dump, where you put everything down, and that drags stuff from the unconscious mind, develops your intuition. And that tends to be a chaotic process, um, but it's incredibly insightful. Those who already have trained you to listen to your deep inner spirit, they've taken you into that level. And the more you do it, the more the better you get at this. At first, mm. it's really like all over the place. Then your fourth step is also a right step where you go in and you find the patterns and you start seeing this has happened, now what do I do kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then you end the, that, that cycle with an action. Oh. And that would be some kind of like a full stop. So it's like a little statement or something mm. like that. So if it's an in-the-moment crisis, like an email that you get and you're just about to go into a podcast or something right, else, right. you've got to like be calm and focused, just get like, I feel like this because of this. Um, maybe write it down or just visualize if you don't have time to write because you may be in a meeting or something mm. and then say, okay, well, this has happened, this email, I can't deal with this now, so I'm going to deal with this later. So you, in other words, you're acknowledging your stuff. You're not trying to suppress it. As soon as you suppress it, you create these volcanic reactions inside of you mm. and you feel out of control and then accumulates and the anger boils and everything gets out of control. This way you're always controlling. So it's constant mind management or self-regulation. Mm-hmm. If it was the longer thing, you would do 15 to 45 minutes a day in cycles for 20 one days but then you don't stop there that's only enough to find the basic cause and to start the process of reconceptualization which is looking at this thing differently because mm-hmm. you can't change what's happened to you but you can change how it plays out into your future right. so you've got to get to that point but then yeah. you've got to another 42 days you spend about five minutes a day doing the same five steps and then that stabilizes mm-hmm. and this is where people fall out the bus they stop around 14 to 21 days if you don't know about this automatically forget that you've never heard of neurocycling mm-hmm. people try and change and they're pretty good at getting to day 14. People don't really seven between day 7 and 14 is when most people stop and right. they fall back and they keep going through these cycles and they don't yeah. move forward. You have to push through 63 days which is what I've shown with my research to rewire the brain mm. so directed neuroplasticity through the neurocycle is enough in those 63 day cycles using the neurocycle daily for 63 days so it's five steps daily is going to rewire the brain to create sustainable mm-hmm. change so that you know your past doesn't control you anymore you still remember right. it, but it doesn't control you anymore yeah. that's the basic process so you were talking about earlier how you at first, you developed this process to help people, you know, on the on the eight, nine, tens, the extremes. But then you said that you realized, hey, this is something that can help every day level. Yeah. What was that realization process like? It How, was, wh- yeah, it was using it with my own patients, and I realized, hey, I can use this for me mm-hmm. because I'm a human and I'm also battling. Every there's not a single person who doesn't battle with mental health, and that's something that we all need to clarify. People think, mm-hmm. oh, mental health, I don't have all the stigma that's attached. If if you live at the playing fields, there isn't a single human who isn't battling somewhere on that scale at Mm -hmm. some point. And research 
research shows that it's in, in the next three to five years, you'll have an 8, 19 experience. It's wow. just the nature mm. of human. So we've got to throw that out the door. So if I knew that already from my research, so it was easy for me to admit, hey, I battle with this or that or whatever, because mm. I know that I'm just a human responding and it's normal. It makes me very normal right. and makes me very experiencing those. I'm not suspect of my feelings. Right. Mm. And it made me realize that this is not something that's, that, that when I saw that, I thought, hey, this is helping me. I'm finding myself while I'm helping my patients. So then I started teaching this just in general too, because mm-hmm. I was already working in corporate and education, and right. with and I'd have doctors, for example, I'd be training who come and say to me, "Listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm studying all this, but I need help studying, so mm-hmm. the neurocycle can be used for gaining, for building knowledge." Then that's I'm really battling with the stress of this. And I say, "Well, try this." So it was really that process that just grew over the years, and then I just now teach. You know, that's why I do the books, and I've got an app wow. and right. to help people because you live with yourself. Yeah. You you with, right. you wake up with yourself. You can therapy counseling coaching fantastic i mean we have a certified facilitator program but they you are not with your coaches 24 7 you're with yourself so i wanted to make mental health accessible to everyone and help everyone recognize from the age of two you can train this wow i've got a book coming out at the moment for mental health but my youngest patient was two and three we'd be taught wow. this system yeah so it's how do you manage yourself and when you manage your mind yeah you know the rest of life becomes a little bit easier wow because mind drives life. Without right. mind, you're dead. Right. <laughs> I want to talk about um, the work environment. How do you personally create a um, a good workplace environment? How and how can students and and young professionals control their work environment to decrease anxiety? Um, you know, in in that uh, as they navigate it. Excellent question and so real because we our environments impacting us. Ninety five percent of how we function is basically coming from our non-conscious mind, which is mm. the biggest part of us, processing life into our mind and, and to our brain. So a lot of the ways that we're reacting is because we're literally absorbing our environment, we're coding our environment and nurturing socioeconomic, political, what we're reading, it's all going in. And it has this tremendous impact. So the easiest way to manage your environment is to manage yourself. So you need to have a look at the impact of your environment. And the way you can pick up your impact of your environment is through the non-conscious mind, which is your deeper spiritual level, it's a deep spiritual level, will actually is on your site. So it's scanning all your experiences. It's literally, think of like a helicopter flying over a giant forest. Mm-hmm. And that forest is all, all the trees of your mind, which are, because thoughts look like trees. And these clusters of dark ones in amongst the green ones, and those dark ones would be these toxic experiences. And the ones that are the biggest, your non-conscious mind, which is your deep spiritual level, mm-hmm. working with your body, which is wired for love, because we our immune system is warning us and all kinds of things. It all works together in this complex fashion. But essentially, the visual of, an, of a helicopter lands, shines, flies over a cluster of trees, shines a light on that, mm-hmm. and then pushes that through the, from the non-conscious through the subconscious into your conscious mind through those signals I've been speaking about. So the best thing is when you're in your actual work environment or your university environment or whatever environment you're in, is in that moment, as you walk in, you feel that lurch in your stomach, you feel that emotion. Grab it, write mm-hmm. it down quickly in your iPhone or whatever on your computer, and sometime during maybe over lunch or at, at some other point, just um, start. Take 16 minutes. This is yeah. a start point. This is not the neurocycle. This is like a start point. This is how you can kick this off. Take a 16-minute block. There's a lot of very interesting science around the number 16, and you close your eyes for two minutes, 
and just let your mind wander and then you open your eyes and write down what came up. Mm. What will come up are intrusive thoughts. Those are the intrusive thoughts that are pushing through from the non-conscious to the conscious that are telling you something about your work environment and your response to it. And you will find the answer of how to manage your work environment in that in mm. that thought. Yeah. But you've got to find the intrusive thoughts first. So intrusive right. thoughts are your new best friend. So you find them. And if you open your eyes again, close your eyes, if you do that eight times over 16 minutes and you do that for about five days, you'll find a pattern yeah. in the workplace that and then you can do this privately as well to find just general patterns in your life mm. but you'll find the predominant thoughts processes i mean thoughts and then you can do the whole neurocycle you can deconstruct reconstruct and you can your active reach the fifth step will give you mm -hmm. constructive okay what do i need to do and that's where you might go and get advice and say look this right. is the problem this is what i'm having and you can then go to your boss or a mm -hmm. co-worker or someone to help you manage it so, so you're managing of, your yeah. mind and does that make sense? Absolutely. No, 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 it makes a ton of sense. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut you up, mm -hmm. but I just want to jump on that. What can leaders do to actually help with that process, right? So we talked about if I'm an employee, how do I manage my thing? But how can leaders create these healthier environments, these safe spaces? What does that look like for them to work together to, to It's the leaders, things? like yourselves, is talking about your own mental health and how you're managing it. Mm -hmm. Only 3% of leaders and only 4% of churches are talking about mental health. Now, most Sundays I'm in a church somewhere teaching on this. And then in the weeks I'm in all these other academic type environments. And um, there's this thing, because of the biomedical model, people are scared to stand up there and think, okay, I'm weak if I say that I've got mm -hmm. mental health issues. Physicians won't say that they've got a mental health issue because they'll, they'll, they can lose their jobs. And I mean, anyone, you go tell someone you've got schizophrenia, they're going to, you know, you, can, they, they, you right. could lose your job, which is unfortunate because schizophrenia is not an illness. Schizophrenia is a huge mind breakdown in number, number 10, and mm -hmm. you wouldn't be in that position anyway. But, you know, the point is that you don't want the, a leader by opening up and saying, hey, listen, I don't have an illness, but I'm going through stuff. And it's affecting me. So if you see this, this, and this, and this is how I've processed it. So by a leader and is talking about their own mental health and talking about how they're managing it creates an open door for that to happen mm. in the environment. Then you need to have places, you need to have people that are trained in the environment that people can go and speak to. And when I say trained, it doesn't take much training. We've put up together a facilitator course now where you can actually, you don't need to be a PhD or a, right. a therapist, clinical therapist to support people. You just need to have love and know the steps to take a person mm. through. So I would definitely create that in the environments as well as have these pockets of support places. A simple thing that works very well as well is to have a bench mm. situated. Yep. It's called bench therapy. It's been researched from mm. it started in Zimbabwe, a grandmother sat on a bench and was one of the most successful mental health programs ever. And King's University in Harvard did a study on it. And all she did was listen. And so from there, I developed the system into the neurocycle. And basically, if you put benches, you create an environment. If you sit on the bench, it's a safe space. If you sit there, then you're ready to listen or you're ready to talk and there's no judgment. And that's where you go through the process where you feel like you need a little bit of extra support wow. in between. So those are some practical things you can do. Yeah. And easy and inexpensive. Yeah, I want to follow up on on the the negative stigma um, uh, because there there is this negative st uh, stigma much. with mental health, especially as you mentioned in the church. Uh, um, you know, people sometimes leave communities feeling um, somewhat betrayed when their concerns aren't really addressed, and sometimes even swept under the rug, so yeah. to, so to speak. So, why do you think that is, and and how can these issues be addressed in a way that um, can prevent? that kind of uh, action happening it's very much an openness it's it's being it's creating those safe spaces like we just discussed but it's also a situation of people being honest and open about what they're going through and not 
attending and suppressing. And there's been so much of that in any leadership, whether mm -hmm. it's a church, whether it's the medical profession or whatever. There's this whole thing. And it's come from the biomedical model. People are very embarrassed to say they battle with mental health. Sure. Yeah. You know, people will say it quietly. So the whole thing of the destigmatizing by people being more authentic and talking about mm -hmm. it and influences on social media, that has, to a certain extent, opened the conversation. But the problem is it hasn't really solved the problem. It's, we, we see from the research it's increased stigma because people don't want to they want a label but they don't want to label mm -hmm. because as soon as you get a label you say oh that's why I'm like I am but then there's so much attached to that label about your incompetency because now mm. you as an individual yeah. have a broken brain right. and that's the lie you don't have as an individual so we throw the diagnoses out mm. and use them more, more as descriptions so if you take this example if you're sitting down you go for dinner with people you go to dinner with friends or you get together in a meeting mm -hmm. um, a leadership meeting or something like that with church leaders or whoever university and you you sit down, you walk in, you say, oh, sorry, guys, I'm late. I just came from my psychiatrist and I have this late, and I have this bipolar depression and I'm being put on six medications. And they're going to look at you wearily right. and think, yeah. are you competent? Right. Right. So there's stigma immediately. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you could say it is supposed to be destigmatizing, but the research shows that's increased stigma. So, but if you walked mm -hmm. in and just said, hey, guys, I'm sorry, I'm late. I've just been going through a lot of stuff lately. I don't want to bore you with it. But you know what? I'm, it's, it's really affected me. But I'm managing it. I have certain put certain mm -hmm. things in place, and I'm managing it. Everyone at that dinner table will reach out and say, "Hey, how can I help?" And right. then they'll tell their right. stories. You know, so that's what we need to be doing. We need to create a space, safe space where leaders mm -hmm. can share amongst leaders, and then leaders can feel free to share. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, don't you don't throw everything out there to right. everyone because people right. will also abuse that and use it mm -hmm. against you. But it is that honesty of leveling the playing fields across the board. Right. And, you know, talking well, about and I think it what you, being a human experience. Yeah, and what? Sorry. Um, no, what no, he, no, no, no. Well, no I think problem. what what jogged my memory with that is is that that second part of the story you talked about is hope, right? Yes. So that's the key differentiator, key. right? You come up if you come up and say like, "Hey, I'm struggling with all this different stuff, and I'm on a hundred different medications, and I'm just screwed up, guys." Exactly. There's no hope there. But no. the minute you throw the hope of like, "But I'm working on it," now I can everybody can. My brain yeah. and neuroplasticity. Yeah. Right. You because right. every, everyone's heard a little bit about mm -hmm. this, but no one really knows. So if you dive into and start a conversation, if you've been labeled or you're in that situation, and you dive in and say, "Hey, the mind's not the same as the brain. The mind." changes the brain and I can I'm doing that I'm actually my story is not my future exactly it's, yeah. it's part of it but it doesn't I can change what it looks like inside of me yeah. that opens conversation wow. very very quickly and levels the playing field love it love wow. it and wow. that's and that's such a key part of of moving forward and really kind of totally, growing this environment totally. and we need and I, to have conversations mm -hmm. like that we need to create right. the that's the safe spaces yeah. we don't need massive policy changes we right. need to just sit down and start mm -hmm. bench yeah. therapy. Well, and when you <laughs> think about with the church right now, I think obviously stuff has happened with the church for centuries, right? Nothing's new under the sun, but we're living in this time where it's everybody's hyper aware of everything from oh, yeah. documentaries and to podcasts, yeah. all the a lot dirty of explosions, laundry. a lot of suppressed right. stuff right. coming right. out. Right, everything blown up. But I think that that message of having hope in these situations, yes. right? Like that's what the church, it, I'm at, with my friends, it's like, is there any hope? In, you know, should we even have churches anymore? All this sort of stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. The church is community still Community is important. Yes. It's the hugest part of church is mm -hmm. community. But that also, as you say, we've seen so many things and I won't label because I know we all know what we're talking about yeah. but there's um, it's the authenticity I watched someone yesterday who was admitting to an issue in a church and my first thought was there was no authenticity in this. It was just a statement. Whereas you got to have the compassion. You've got to say, listen, I did this, 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 and have the compassion, show, show genuine 
remorse and have empathy for the persons that you've hurt and take responsibility. I come from South Africa and in the apartheid regime, as we know, it was horrific. And I worked there through the through the apartheid system in the transition and post when Mandela came into power. And we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. Mm. Incredible thing mm. where people would come together and have conversations about hearing about this is what you did to me. And the other person being able to say, I'm sorry, and taking that responsibility. We need more truth and reconciliation commissions on every single level. It doesn't have to be a formal name, but it's a concept or a philosophy that yeah. we need to have coming through. And stop putting people on pedestals. You know, you this is why it keeps being in the human element. If you're a leader, it doesn't mean that you're better than someone else. Right. It just means that right. you're skill. Yeah. You're still a human. You're still messed right. up. It's still, and it's okay to be a mess. This is the whole thing. We don't allow mess. It's, it's we, we are, our structure inside of us, physiologically and also spiritually, is we have free will. Just by the mere fact that we have free will, we are going to make a mess. So all the accommodation for mess, being messy, has been made by by our spiritual nature mm-hmm. as well as by our physical. But we're not supposed to stay a mess. We're supposed wow. to clean up our mess. Right. So all of us are on the same boat. We're all messy. We're all cleaning up the mess. We all support each other, just like we see in the story of Jesus in the garden, getting the support, going through the issue, get in mm-hmm. the garden, face your stuff, it gets worse, etc. But you will rise again right. with the wounds in your hand. Wow. And the wound is your story. Mm. And that's the kind of conversation we need wow. to be having. That's so powerful. We're going to move into our, our fire round and, and, and ask just a few questions surrounding everything we've kind of discussed. Uh, and, and, of course, answer with uh, what comes from your gut. But we want to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice uh, for our, our listeners. So, uh, Michael, I'll let you uh, begin. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say are three habits, habits every young professional needs in order to have that kind of sustainability to kind of make it through their, their life and their career? The most important is mind management. You need to make that your top priority. If you're not managing your mind, you can go to all the conferences, read all the books, do all the... It's not going to work because mm-hmm. your mind actually drives everything, including your body's ability to digest food and exercise, benefit oh. from exercise. Mm-hmm. So mind management is absolutely essential. And then within with mind management, there's self-regulation. So we need to... Mind management is self-regulating. So you need to learn how to do that. And that's basically praying continuously. It's basically bringing mm-hmm. all thoughts into captivity and constantly renewing the mind as a continuous process. And then the third thing is don't try and eliminate your story. Your story is what happened to you. We can't grow and repair unless we can actually look at the mess that we've made. So it's okay to be a mess. Don't eliminate your story. Grow and repair Mm. from your story. It's okay to be a mess. Just clean it up. Yeah, that's good. What's the key to uh, creating and cultivating patience and grit? We are naturally resilient. We are literally wired for love. So everything about our entire brain and body, all our neurophysiology and our mind, which is the psycho part of psycho neurophysiology, mm-hmm. is all geared to work for us and not against us. So resilience is a natural part of us. Two-thirds of people will naturally bounce back very fast from, or at certain, quite well from, from trauma. And doesn't mean you, you know, you're going to be an avatar and walk around smiling. I'm not talking about toxic positivity. Sure. I'm talking about getting through mm-hmm. and moving forward. This has happened. What can I do? So two-thirds of people naturally do that. Mm. A third need a little bit more time. So mm. two-thirds do it pretty quickly, one-third slowly. And so the point is that that natural grit is inside of us. Mm. It's wired. So the quickest way to train yourself to develop your resilience and not dampen your resilience is to allow yourself to be messy and to clean up the mental mess. So stand back, observe yourself, and see, okay, this is what this is who I am. I mean, sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, let me say that again. Stand back, observe yourself. This is not who I am. I'm showing up like this because of. 
retracing, deconstructing, reconstructing, etc. That process activates your natural resilience, the grit, the right. ability to move forward. Yeah. And then the next time around when you get hit, you completely knock down again, you're a little stronger because you have done this once before. before. Sure, right. And it just keeps building on it. You may not use exactly the same techniques, but that's pretty much how you develop That's it. good. Love it, love it. Last question, if you, if a student has a friend or family member that's dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, what advice would you give to them on how to support that individual? Tell them immediately that you're not ill. It's mm. not a mental disease. It's not a chemical imbalance. Mm. And chemicals are not gonna fix it. There's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. It's okay to be a mess. It's a totally normal human response and it's one of four signals. Tell them it's a, it's a signal, it's not a disease. Mm. And the other signals are how you, are what you, so it's emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations and perspective and immediately say that and say, listen, I can't fix you. I'm not an expert on your experience, but I'm here for you. What do you need? Mm -hmm. And very often that person just sit on a bench, it's bench therapy, let, just start listening. But you can open the conversation by saying, this is okay. You're totally normal. This is not a disease. That's really important. And then just listen. What do you need? I'm here for you. And they may not even be able to talk initially. They may just need you to sit with them or go to a movie with them or whatever. Right. And as you create that safe space, they can start talking. As they're talking, try not to interrupt too much. Try not to tell them what to do. Don't throw, you know, don't pass the buck prayer or use God as a genie or scripture as a mm -hmm. band-aid. Be very careful of that. Right. Come in with that. Don't even, don't even wait for them mm -hmm. to ask for advice before you. Right. Most of the, right. yeah, most of the time people just need to be heard and they need right. to know that they're not crazy and have right. a brain have brain damage because that's right. scary right. and that's the message that they are sitting under. Powerful, powerful. Caroline, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership. Grateful for the insight that uh, you have provided. And I know our listeners are going to want to get in contact with your resources and, and all that's available. If you want to stay up to date with Caroline, you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Caroline Leaf and Facebook at Dr. Leaf. Uh, so uh, I know you'll want to uh, check out all the resources that you have available. Is there another website for people to go to, to if they want more resources on your research? DrLeaf.com is our main website, Perfect. and okay. they can find everything there. And Excellent. Love. That, and, and you also have an app. An app, NeuroCycle app. That's available. It's called NeuroCycle. So it takes you through this whole process, like literally therapy. I walk you through it audio-visual. That's uh, audio and visual and script. Um, that's available on iTunes and Google Play. Wow. Love it. Great. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Caroline. For more leadership content, check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle, at Dr. Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Steiner, or Twitter at Kent Ingle. Also, make sure you just subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching us right now on YouTube, hit that like button so that you get more leadership content to your feed every single week. You can also visit our website, drkentingle.com, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter for free leadership content set straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.